I could give you a greasy pitch like Russ, Kurt Russell in used cars, but I'll, instead of doing that, just tell you to check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. There's thousands of good reviews. Many people like it. There's nobody cracking the odometer and rolling the numbers backwards. There's no gum holding the fenders on. It's a good podcast app for Android devices. Check it out in the Google Play Store, the Podcast Republic app. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Triplano, one half of the mega podcasting powers. And with me, as always, is a man who knows the true versatility of a wad of chewing gum, the Macho Mandrew. Andrew Leno. And chewing gum has held together many a traveling carnival ride. Yes, for sure. Uh, along with gauze and duct tape. We are celebrating the 40th anniversary of this 1980 comedy from uh, perhaps Enemy of the Podcast. Oh, Robert Zemeckis? You seem to have a vendetta against him. I don't have so. a vendetta. I just, I, it's fun to make jokes, but also sometimes I'm like, I don't, you, don't, you aren't the nicest to women in your films. We watched used cars, so you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your sleazy used car salesman. Sounds good, but I'm but your sleazy used car salesman. When the mega powers explode. I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah. Great Scott. Cream of the crop. Oh, 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 oh yeah. Mega powers, yeah. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. So I knew nothing about this other than it was turning uh, 40 this year. So I I watched the trailer and I saw a bunch of people call it kind of an unsung comedy from this era. And I'm really surprised that I've never seen this movie before having now watched it. Yeah, once I watched it, I feel like it's definitely a you... It's definitely a you project. A trip pick, if you will. (laughs) This is a trip pick. Uh, I'm surprised that you don't care for, uh, it seems like you don't care for, but we'll get It's there not my, f- I, I'm not going to actively dislike it, but the, the things I don't like are so egregious that it's hard to remove that, that color. Okay. I will say if nothing else, the opening scene of this movie does Is so much to build Kurt Russell's character and gives you exactly who this person is inside one minute it is just a brilliant piece of business and would later go on to inspire danny devito in the film matilda because i feel like everything he did is a hundred percent yeah yeah kurt russell you don't see his face you just see his hands and he's underneath and his hair uh, steering wheel yes you can see his hair which is at peak foof in this movie oh yeah uh this is some 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 foofy it's not quite snake pliskin foof but it's pretty close he might as well be underwater, like Ariel, when she moves and her hair takes a second to follow her. Oh, yeah, it is a little wavy, floaty, yeah. But yeah, he's he's working under this car and he's, you know, grabbing tools and doing things. And then the odometer rolls back like 60,000 miles to is that know, a thing still? mile car. I don't think so. I think most of what happened in this movie has been removed by cars going so computery and digital. Mm, mm-hmm. Although you would think you'd so, be at that you know, at that point you could like hack into a car and like change the odometer. You might be able to change the odometer, but the like the Carfax vehicle history report is tied to the VIN number, and that is just a freely accessible, available thing for consumers because of salesmen like this. Oh, okay. so our like our government has taken steps to prevent this from happening to people where you buy something and it this is totally the government will step in on purchased. Sleazy used car salesman. That's what the government... (laughs) They wouldn't anymore. But back... There was a time when the government was like, oh, hey, we could fix this problem by just making people's, you know, the history of a vehicle tied to the VIN number. And then you can... Like, if you type in the VIN number of a car, you can see its accident history. You should be able to get its age and stuff. Um... But the the one that I like even more is him bumping over a curb with a car, the fender coming loose, taking his gum out, sticking it on the fender, and then scooshing it back together. It's just like, yep, that's it. This is this whole picture of this guy in one minute. Yeah, it was great. It's it's it was a delightful. Honestly, this beginning could be a short film. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and then the even up to the arrival of this other character who brings in a bunch of former taxis painted blue with water-based paint 
a very matte water-based paint in a time where like a matte yeah. car wasn't a choice. I feel like no, no, not at all. Nobody had matte cars back then. Like I feel like all cars pre nineteen ninety were that sort of metallic, almost shimmery color. Yes, for sure, for sure. And then also lots of browns and greens. Yeah, a lot of a lot of poop green, sick poop green. Yeah, and poop brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also this other this there's the the first ten minutes of this movie. Honestly, I guess the short film should go through him stealing this customer too because he puts a ten dollar bill on a fishing rod and he throws it across the street to the rival dealer and he's like reeling, literally reeling this customer in across. It's the like highway. something out of like uh, Splash Mountain. It's very yes, like cartoony yes, and and, sh- and sticky. Yeah. It's Looney Tunesy. It's Looney yeah. Tunesy for sure. He, he also has the uh, shortest tie I've ever seen in cinema. For state Senate. He is also wearing the shortest tie that I've ever seen in the history of cinema. It's not just a short tie. The jacket is too short as well, which I think is just supposed to be he's poor. But the, the tie, is, I think, is probably a fashion thing. The jacket being short, I thought, was part of it being sort of like a leisure suit kind of moment. Because the, the rival guy Maybe, is wearing yeah. a blue leisure suit. But it's as though he's like, if you were to uh, crop a button down and then tie the tie to the bottom of a crop, like that's where the tie hits. It's like barely <laughs> below his chest. Um, I also, so this movie came out in 1980, but it is like teetering on the edge of 70s and 80s aesthetic choices. Yes, it is. Kurt Russell, extremely 70s, but there's later parts where people bring in a little bit more 80s flair. So it's, it's, it's fun from that standpoint, I think. Have you ever heard of red cars being bad luck to a salesman? I mean, to anyone, but I guess to salesmen in particular. No, I've heard you get more tickets in a red car. That I have heard, which I don't think is true because I drove a red car for a while um, and did, and I didn't get a lot of tickets. I don't think I got any tickets in that car. Did you do a lot of highway speeding? I don't know if the statute of limitations is up on that statement, but... <laughs> on speeding? Yes, I think you have to be caught literally in <laughs> Yeah, I do. I drive fast. Sonic okay. the Hedgehog. <laughs> No, I think that's just this particular character's superstition, which comes okay. in over and over again. Um, so he reels this guy in across the street, and he's had a conversation with his cohort about the red car thing, where he's sort of normal Kurt Russell. And then he gets this guy across the street and starts pitching him on this Buick, and he slides into used car mode in a way that is just perfect from you know an actor owning a thing and it's the sleazy he's talking fast his whole demeanor changes his pattern of speaking changes it's really beautiful i think yeah it's it's all the grace of a of a of a child using a slip and slide for the first time is how he quickly he's into used car salesman yeah it's it's really honestly quite magical and he has such a it's also like with um overboard it, or just overboard is the Goldie Hawn one, right? That's just overboard. Correct. Okay, like an overboard where it's sort of like it's hard, like it's hard to real, like yeah, he's doing awful things, but he's so charming. Again, he's got a great voice and he's so charming that it's hard to fault him. Yes, and and the the you know selling someone a terrible used car is objectively a terrible thing, and yet this whole movie I'm kind of rooting for the guy, which is wild. A little bit, yeah. And he's smoking these weirdly long cigarettes. I think they're cigarillos. Oh, okay. Because I was like, I've, these seem weird. Yeah, they're like tiny cigars he's smoking. Okay. Sort of like a black and mild kind of thing. But without oh, oh yes. It, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's... They were, sorry, we cut across the street and Joe Flaherty, who has been on this show before, although I can't remember what movie, but uh, I always point to him as the vampire tra- uh, character in SCTV, the Canadian uh, sketch show with <laughs> the, 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 um, the McKenzie brothers. Uh, with uh, Rick Rick Moranis and damn it, I just forgot the other comedian's name. I know what you are talking about, but I couldn't. Okay. I can't. I can't visually place it. He he played a vampire on SCTV, and then I think reprised the role in like a children's home safety video. So that's why I know. Who wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, he's also the dad on. It's not the one with um. What's her name? There's an actress. No, no, I, I know it's hitting me. <laughs> we're, we're playing the worst possible game for people to listen to. We're pulling a Are real you, mom I, look, right now. The safety video has the safety video has a famous actress in it, and she and kind she, of plays a child. She's, yes, she's, 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 I know exactly what you're talking about. Woman. 
because I made my yes, friends watch it. She, and I was like, I want, we were all like, I wonder what she, what crime she committed that this community service was her punishment. At one point she burns herself and she puts butter on the burn. Mm-hmm. I remember this distinctly. Yeah. And then she's trying to, she's trying to get something out of the toaster and they're like, Oh, you can't put metal in the toaster. And I never had a regular, we never had a regular, we had a toaster no, oven. We had the toaster oven. Us bougie boys. We didn't have a toaster toaster. And I always thought it was weird that they were like, they're like, Oh, you can't stick it in the toaster. I'm like, how did people like, it's not hard to just stab only the toast and remove it. It's a large window. And then like you go to a house with a regular toaster and it's like, Oh yeah, you probably wouldn't want to stick a fork in that. Mm-hmm. The actress played the character Bonnie Badabath on 30 Rock. <laughs> I can't remember her name. It's driving me nuts. She's like a very famous comedian. <laughs> yeah. No, everybody in this this safety video is, I think, relatively famous. Anyway, no one could possibly care about this. So no. I'm just going to move It's on, available in its on. entirety on YouTube. Well, I'm sure. Yes. Andrea Martin. So Andrea Martin. She also was on... She also was on SCTV, so I guarantee you that's why Joe Flaherty that, that I'm correct that Joe Flaherty is in this thing uh, that she that she is in. But she plays like a child. She's fully a like a forty of, year old woman in pigtails yes. and a retainer. It's it's kind but of. I beautiful. liked it. I I, I rented it. We like actively a bunch rented of times. this from the library. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because I made my friends watch it. Once. I think it's. It's probably like the first flirting of like this thing. Like in in hindsight, it probably explains a lot about us and what we have chosen to do as a hobby. Yes, but it's it's a truly bizarre safety video that I'm sure you can find if you Google. I genuinely wonder what video. crime she committed. That this was her um her service. I think it wasn't that. I think it's called Kids Safe the Video. It's from 1988. Perhaps it's a bonus episode in the future. It's from the 80s? Yeah. Shut uh, and up! the craziest part is, it was directed by Stuart Gordon, who directed uh, uh, Reanimator. And You're Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. kidding me. No. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, Joe Flaherty is in this. Uh, it And Joe Flaherty presents it as a fake, like, Sven Elvira type show. He's and it oh, has Jason Voorhees in it. Yeah, so I remember now. So it it has the bookends of like an Elvira character like introducing you. Yes, and then she that's learns Joe Flaherty. And then at the end, what happens at the end? So basically, a policeman, a fire, a fireman, and a doctor show up at like walk into this girl's house and teach her safety, and then they leave. And when they do, someone knocks on the door, and she's like. You're not going to trick me this time. I'm not opening the door. And on the other side, it's like Jason, right, right. a witch, also, Gilman, Frankenstein, Freddy Krueger, uh-huh. Dracula. Yes. And they all turn away, turn away very sad. Also, Meshach Taylor, who was Hollywood Montrose in uh, Madigan, is also in it. I think he plays a firefighter. Hollywood plays the firefighter? Yes. Yeah. I remembered him being in Now it I need well. to go back and rewatch this or like, at least skim through it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to have to do a bonus episode. We definitely are going to have to do a bonus episode. So coming to you at some point in the future is Kid Safe the Video 1988. Maybe that'll be a commentary track. I was going to say, add that to the list of commentary tracks. <laughs> How about this? We're like two or three people away. If we hit it in the next, uh, let's call it by end of this month, end of March, we will do it immediately for all patrons. We will do a bonus bonus co- this will be a second second commentary track on oh, this God. in addition to the one you get to vote for it's only 28 minutes it's not that big of a commitment that's true we can always just la- we'll anyway stream. we should talk about the movie we're here to talk about not kids safe colon the video i can't believe it's directed by Stuart gordon that is objectively buck wild that's crazy so joe flaherty who's the reason we went down that rabbit hole is a local politician who lets the car dealer across the street kind of buy him off and he's trying to it's it's two brothers who own car lots across the street from each other which is objectively kind of weird because they feud so hard and there's an overpass but kind coming of a in. fun like stylized it could like not wes anderson-y but um Brian Fuller, I think, is his name. The guy who did, like, Pushing yeah, Daisies yeah. and Dead Like yeah. Me. It has that... Very, like, I can see this being a very 
as the potential for that kind of moment. Right. And the fact that the same actor is playing both brothers also leads to the same kind of shenanigans. Didn't realize that until <laughs> I read that on Wikipedia. Really? Yeah. That's really wild. I, I was like, oh, that looks like the same actor. I wonder if it is. And then immediately that was, that was him. That's really funny. Um, I think it's because they look so like the one that's a reference. No one's going to get the one is like, has like coiffed hair and a blue leisure suit and looks like he's about to start doing like 10 right. revivals. And then the other brother looks, looks like he runs a, a rundown used car lot where the cars are all rusty. Right. Both of them played by Jack Warden, who was in 12 Angry Men, uh, the great Muppet Caper, which was on this podcast before. And uh, I also knew him as yes. the old man in Dirty Work. As a bonus, I believe. Yes, it's on the Patreon. Uh, it was uh, one of the live shows. And I also know him from Dirty Work as the old guy. I don't think I know Dirty Work. It's not. You're fine. You're totally fine without Dirty Work. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Just, you're you're fine. You're totally fine. It is of its era, and you would be like a guest, I think. Um, Fair. So he's he, so he's both his he plays Kurt Russell's boss and also the rival car dealership owner. But he finds out that Kurt needs ten thousand dollars to run for state office, and uh, which they kind of gloss over when it gets to the end. But he was definitely getting bamboozled here. Yes, yes, he was. <laughs> uh, so that well, no, I don't think he was getting bamboozled. I think he was getting, he was going to be bought off. Kurt Russell. I think it was going to be a Batman Returns situation. Yeah, I think it was going to be a Batman Returns situation where, like, hey, we're going to get you an office, and you're going to do what we say. Oh, maybe that. But they so they were going to make him pay ten thousand dollars to be their puppet. That seems bonkers, but I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cause he, he. Anyway, we'll get there. Uh. But the boss is like, look, I'll loan you the t- – I'll give you the $10,000 as a loan. And then we find out he has heart troubles and it's like, oh, this is the smoking gun. These are Chekhov's heart pills immediately. Yeah, right. Uh, and it comes to fruition very quickly because uh, moments later, basically, a man comes to the lot, drives the car like a maniac to murder him and causes him to have a heart attack. Yeah, he was sent by his right, brother. Right, right. We, we find out he was like a mechanic who also doubles as a stunt driver or a, a demolition derby driver. And he drives until this old man has a heart attack. But it does lead to a, I think. And like slaps his pills out yes, of his hand. Yes, yes, yes. After flipping the car. Uh, but I think it's. Yeah, he's he plays a real good shit. Yeah, here. he totally does. But I think this scene leads to one of the funniest parts of the whole movie because Kurt Russell is in the midst of closing a sale. And the man who's uh, buying the car, who also played the announcer in Slapshot uh, for for bit purposes that no one cares about, he's he keeps going, nah, 50 bucks never killed anyone, 50 bucks never killed anyone. And I was like, oh, I know exactly what's about to happen here. Uh, and it's yep. and while it is exactly yep, what yep, you would yep. expect, it is just very funny. Like sometimes you can telegraph it too much and it takes away the joke. In this case, it made me like primed for the joke. It was perfect build up for me that. He comes in all red in the face and choking, and he grabs the guy by the lapels, and they're falling on the floor. And the guy's like, I'll take it, I'll take it, okay, give me the thing to sign. And then, so he he pulls out 50 bucks from his wallet. He's like, I'll just pay the 50 bucks. And in his, like, death throes, dying breaths, the yes. boss grabs the cash yes. and then dies. Yes. And I was like, that's what I needed. I needed that, because if, if he didn't, uh-huh. this would feel and it sad. it feels very Muppety. Yeah, I was going to say, so this movie, I feel like could have cranked the the kooky dial i agree three notches yeah it also could be a muppet it could have been a muppet movie like no problem you swap out uh you know kermit for kurt russell and you swap in miss piggy for for this lady no you got you got i think you need kurt russell okay (laughs) i think kurt russell's the human i think he's the human but i i kind of want I kind of want the bad guy to remain as well, but I feel like you could get the Muppet cast in here very easily. Oh, I was going to say Miss Piggy. Oh, she's playing both. Yeah, okay, I like that. That's funny. I I agree. That is funny. I think Miss Piggy plays the the two brothers. you're right. You're right. You're right. And Sam the Eagle is the bought-off politician. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, This movie movie could have easily been a Muppet movie. I'm sad that it wasn't. Or maybe, you know what? Maybe Sam Eagle is the two brothers. I'm not mad maybe, about that either. Maybe I think you had it in one with Piggy. That's the answer. <laughs> anyway, uh, they there's a quick shot of a couple having sex, and I don't know why it's so, there or what so purpose. I have was, was it phone? I have at all? a theory that it was going to be that they were doing that Seinfeld plot of you letting 
prostitutes use the cars to make money on the oh. side at night. I forgot but that was, was definitely plot. a Seinfeld plot, and I feel like that's what they were. Yeah, it was with the with the right. technical. So I thought code. that's what it was going to be, and then it just never comes up again. It's just randomly in the movie. It it feels very odd that it's just this one random scene of of a woman in thigh highs having sex. My issue with this movie is that it's an hour and fifty minutes, and and I I say this a lot as like a haha, but there's genuinely at least fifteen minutes of padding things that don't add to them. Like this moment doesn't add to the right. movie. The, you at could all. you can get this down to ninety, absolutely no problems. You lose absolutely nothing. Maybe ninety five, but there's 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 a lot yes. of filler here, and I agree with you. I, I think the movie is probably more beloved. And most of it, it comes in the last down. thirty. Yes, yeah, the last act of this movie takes 45 minutes, and it's just nuts that it takes that long, given what happens in it. Uh, There is no excuse. No, no. But so part of the reason that he and his boss have been talking, they're trying to make more money. Kurt Russell thinks they should film a commercial, and that he knows a guy who can, like, intercept the signal and do it. And so we cut to them doing that. They're going to – they go to the football game. They're just hijacking the telecast, which I kind of like that kind of technology stuff. And it made me think about uh, Max Headroom and, like, that weird business I'm sure we've talked about on the podcast before. But I love that it was Squiggy from Laverne and Shirley, who I only know because of that voice. (laughs) Mom, I was, I thought his voice sounded familiar, but mom was saying, she was like, oh, that's so-and-so, the neighbor from Laverne and Shirley. And I was like, I'm sure he is, mom. I'm sure he is. Mom, I told mom what we were doing and she looked in the, the Wikipedia and she was like, oh, so that's guy. He was the neighbor in Laverne and Shirley. And I was like, I'm sure he was, mom. I'm sure he was. Yeah. I mean, he's, he, I, I don't think I've ever seen a Laverne and Shirley and I knew that that guy's name was Squiggy on there, but just because of his voice, I've heard him in other things as well. Also, Michael McKeon. Um, also, uh, the brother. Michael McKeon is the other guy who, who? is the interceptor. Uh, who, what would we know? Oh my like, God. Everything. Name, Michael so. McKeon, man. Uh, this is Spinal Tap, Better Call Saul, pretty much every Christopher Guest movie. You know, Michael McKeon. Wait, is he Saul? No, he's Saul's brother. I've been, I don't. Um, I mean, I'm sure I know. He's him, also, but. I believe, an SCTV guy. Maybe, maybe not. But he's, I, I you definitely know Michael McKee, and I'm, I'm like offended. You didn't. I'm just sure I do. Him? I just don't know his I'm name. Terrible. Terrible. Clue. Wait, who was he in Clue? Mr. Green. Grace and Frankie. He was in for five episodes. I did not care for Grace and Frankie, and I know I'm in the minority on that one. No, I never watched it. I thought it was super boring. I, I did not care for it either. Anyway, uh, Michael McKeon is the other guy, uh, and it's they. So they go to hijack this commercial, and they're in the, the filming this commercial live in the parking lot of. The it's not game. even a commercial. They're hijacking the entire broadcast. Right, but they're hijacking it. They, they, I, they're supposed to hijack during a commercial, but I guess they wanted they they do it to make give them more attention. Um, but the guy who's superstitious, superstitious about red cars, once the lights turn on, he realizes that, oh, my gosh, this is a red car and he won't touch it. And, of course, he, like, jumps off the car and ends up ripping this woman's clothes off. Uh, and then Kurt Russell's pretty gross about it. Well, I don't think he's the one who touches it. The camera – this poor woman gets her dress ripped off. And, of course, she's not wearing a bra because it's a movie. Right. And they just, like, really disgustingly horn in on this. Like, like, really, like, keep jabbing the camera at her boobs. Yeah. And then, like, you see a glove, the gloved hand of the cameraman reach out and grab her boob. And I was just like, this feels so disgusting, egregiously disgusting. Oh, I missed the, the, I missed the gloved hand thing you're talking about. I, I will say, like... Yeah, tw- at the very end, someone grabs her boob. She was wearing gloves, though. And she's screaming, like, the whole... I thought she, no, she wasn't like, like, elbow-length gloves. No, oh, this okay. is like a leather glove. I will say it is obvious, like you obviously were hired for this part and knew what it was. So, like, there's some yes, you mean the yes. actress, yes, the real yes, world correct. actress, yes, not the came movie. movie actress. Um, certainly, this woman was aware that like she was here to be naked. So, whatever, like she, yeah, the, I don't feel about it's not the act. It's just the like the joke she's is screaming just as, the, in distress. The joke is just as funny if she's in her underwear. It's just that, like back then, you wanted you wanted to get I the agree. in the movie, or that she's like, but like my issue is that she's screaming in distress for several minutes, 
Like she's not like it's not like an oh, and then she covers herself up right, with her hands. Right, right. It is. It it, it goes on way too long. It's, it's just, you're correct. It feels. I, I don't have. Yeah, I gnarly. agree with you. I don't have a good argument for you. You're you're totally right. And on top of it, it, it like it doesn't feel like these people are all working together on this. It feels like everyone's doing their own thing and isn't communicating. So like that's why everything goes helter skelter and it's annoying. Right. Uh, they also hired her as like in the in the cafe of the movie she's a stripper they hired which is why it's weird that she's like shrieking oh yeah also we didn't talk about the most important part of the part of this movie so i feel like we should pause here and rewind a bit to say that when the boss died they uh hid his body in his old edsel and buried it on the lot and then his brother came looking for him knowing that he had sent his brother to be murdered and they sent the brother away saying oh he drove to florida yeah and the brother feels so evil because it's so low stakes. Yeah, it is extremely low like, stakes. Like, it's not like there's a big fortune at, at, at well, stake. Well, the business it's itself like, is oh, at stake, I want my brother's some level of fortune. But no, for his, but like, a used car lot feels the lowest level of movie Yes, stakes. I totally agree. But the, the, the deal is there's a freeway coming in. The the bad brother's lot is in the runway of the freeway and is getting destroyed, and so he needs to get his brother's lot so he has a business because he will have one shortly. Uh, also, did you catch uh, podcast favorite Dick Miller for like ten seconds in the? Uh, I read that Dick Miller was man in bed, <laughs> and I I'm so mad I missed him. He he pops up in two scenes during the nudity part, so like they keep showing people at home. Wait, is he yes. the one having sex? I didn't know it was Dick Miller. Now I'm mad. Uh, yeah, he's he's the one who's sleeping with the woman, and it looks like she's disappointed because it doesn't go well. And then he sees the woman on TV and is, looks down his pants like things have begun to work again. How did I miss that? It was Dick Miller. So cut to the next morning, and the car lot is absolutely overflowing with customers. Teeming with customers. And there, there's a bunch of gags here where they're all trying to make the sales. The red car guy does this bit where he shows this guy his dog and talks about it. And then he gets – it was really delightfully that. dark comedy. He has the dog – the dog knows this gag of like it goes under the car and lays down. And then he put a rock under the tire and he's like, I really want you to floor it, man. Feel the engine. And he like puts the hammer down and there's a thump, thump. And then he's like, you killed my dog. And they, they have him work it into selling the car. And it's also that – he does that to a family that brought like forty children. Yes, they they have a they have a station to go wagon. car shopping. Yeah, they have a station wagon, and I think they brought all the kids so they could see if they would all physically fit in the vehicle. At that point, just buy a yeah, bus. Yeah, you really need one. Uh, and then and two kids fall out the back window. Yes, of that, of that uh, station wagon in football pads into a big puddle. Yeah. Uh, this whole section is really fun and stupid. And then it cuts to it's nighttime. They've obviously sold a lot of cars all day. And uh, Kurt Russell turns their stripper friends into burlesque dancers who are dancing to try to help them sell cars, you know, at the lot at night. Well, because the the bad guy was doing a carnival. The bad guy right, had a carnival right, at his car right. lot. Um, so that, you know, they're both very mad at each other. We go to Kurt Russell's trailer, and the entire refrigerator is just Coors Light, which I find delightful and totally on brand. And celery. Yes, Coors, well, for Bloody Marys, I'm guessing. I was like, well, that's what I thought. I was like, this this fridge is full of celery. What is this going to be? And there was no, like, I there was no mention of the, like, or showing no, of a Bloody no. Mary moment. Uh, so, I don't know. And then he checks his message machine, and it's just woman after woman who are desperate to be with him. Yeah. Um, which like that tracks for the for yeah, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Um, also, how was it not an FCC regul like how was it not against FCC regulations to assault a topless woman on well, they were television? Illegally, <laughs> they were illegally broadcasting. Yeah, but you'd think they would be like, hey, a you're illegally broadcasting. B you illegally broadcast a fully topless woman. C you assaulted her on camera. Like it feels like these are all things they're like, hey, we're gonna slap you with like the biggest. Fucking fine, you've ever seen in your life. They don't know who did it. They can't tell from the friggin' they're all video. Wearing like everyone knows it's them. But they're advertising for their right, but car lot. Scene later in the movie where Kurt Russell is talking to the media and he's like, I don't know who these guys are. They're making us look bad. We're a fine upstanding car lot. It doesn't make any sense that they want to advertise for us. <laughs> you're talking about like just disagreeing with the central conceit of the movie like if you can't if you can't take the fact that they're like superman disguised because that to me seems so stupid like they're 
That's not that's not a Superman Clark Kent situation. That's a that's that 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 to me just seems too stupid. Like, it doesn't matter if then you're then we're gonna fine you. Like, it doesn't like you are the one benefiting. We're gonna fine you for this. You but know like, what I mean? wh- they they'd have to prove that they hijacked the broadcast. They can't just find the people who are the subject of the broadcast because if what you're saying is true, wouldn't everyone just do horrible things and claim it was somebody else? I guess I don't know. There's it just seemed weird that there was no like that just seemed yeah. Weird they to me. there's but the movie addresses it. They're like they they ask, but not in this instance. The movie only addresses it later when he pretends when he's racist against Middle Eastern people. No, that that is the second time the movie talks about it. The first time is Kurt talking to reporters. The second time is that guy talking to police people. I have no memory yeah. of the first time. So anyway, they're on t- the brother is on TV talking about how uncouth and terrible they are. And how they're like, you know, besmirching the fine upstanding business of selling used cars. And so the gang at the used car lot is like, all right, we have to hijack a presidential address, which feels a little too ballsy for this movie. Yeah, uh, that's again, that feels like a thing you're going to get like you're going to get in trouble for. Right. Uh, We also find out in this scene that Michael McKeon has a homemade pacemaker that Squiggy made for like ten dollars. I loved the homemade. Yeah, it's just a bunch of transistors sticking out of the poor guy's chest. Um, So at this point, the daughter of the owner of the car lot, the now dead owner, has returned and she is looking for her dad. They had just she had been estranged. And the night that the dad died, they had had a conversation for the first time in 10 years. Um, So she is, you know, coming to reconcile with her dad. And of course, you know, that's not going to happen because (laughs) he's dead um yes and they're trying to get her out of there but then kurt russell's like hey i really like you and i was like whoa 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 don't that's gonna make her stay you want her to leave kurt but he does seem to really like her so that's i guess the tough part of it for him um she is she's mostly a tv actress by the way this movie has the thinnest the thinnest and most poorly set up relationship we've ever seen in the podcast Oh, for sure. Uh, her, by the way, her name is Deborah Harmon. She was like, she's barely a character. She is. She gets nothing. She gets hardly anything to do until the, like the last act of the movie. And then she gets a few things to do, uh, but still not very much. Her name is Deborah Harmon, by the way, mostly TV credits. Uh, she has like a bit part in back to the future. So I guess Zemeckis must've liked her. Yeah. Any TV we would know. I mean, st- like it's like a couple episodes on this show, a couple episodes on that show. She was on a, a lot of episodes or was one of the main people on Just the Ten of Us, which I the internet is telling me was a spinoff of Growing Pains. No, I never heard of that. I mean, I've heard yeah. of Growing Pains, but I've never heard of Just the Ten of Us. Yeah, near, but it ran for uh, three years and almost 50 episodes. So TV was a weird thing back then. Hmm. Uh, uh, she thinks that her phone call with her dad made him leave for Miami because that's the story they came right. up with. And I also like this, the, the opening back and forth, the guy who's superstitious is saying to Kurt, like, oh, she's an inspector. You don't want to go talk to her. And then when Kurt goes to talk to her, she's obviously too smart for his nonsense. And, you know, before it's revealed who she is, they have this little tete-a-tete. Um, so the coworkers are trying to desperately to send her off and she uh, and he is just saying like, no, I can't do this. I'm in love with her, which, as you said, just beyond insane. Yeah. They want to put her on a train to Miami since, again, that's where they said her dad was. And like, by the time she gets there, it'll be fine. But like, she's going to come right. back. She's going to get to Miami and be like, my dad wasn't there. What's going on? It's it's you're just delaying the problem slightly. Yeah. But. I really love this scene here. They're, so they're having dinner together in this restaurant, and this is the night that they're supposed to be interrupting Jimmy Carter. Uh, <laughs> and they're, like, sitting down at dinner, and this guy pulls out an old-school portable television, which is just so unwieldy and large. And he's like, this is a very large man who's got, like, a beer, and he's got the TV on. And Kurt Russell's like, "What? hey, bud, what are you doing trying to have a nice meal? And he's like, hey, the president's going to talk tonight. I need to hear what he's saying. And it's like... Really? This guy? Yeah, and it's it's the size of a boombox, just turned sideways. Yeah, it's enormous. Like an old school over your shoulder boombox. But there's some fun back and forth where Kurt like he runs into the bar and there's another TV there and he runs outside and then there's even more TVs. So he has to kiss her so she doesn't see the Which like I don't know why she can't see like right. what is she going to yeah. do? It, it, I, 
when she sees this and then it advertises for the car lot, she's going to think something is up. But this ad is hilarious because they have the superstitious guy in heavy prosthetics as a cowboy. And he's actually shooting cars on the good guy's parking lot, including a 20. Yeah, sorry. The the bad bad guy's lot, including a $24,000 Mercedes. And then they blow one up with TNT. It's so good. And it's a really good explosion. Yeah. The. The movie does have a couple of really nice explodey moments mixed into a lot of boring car chases that aren't chases. Yeah, car it, is, driving, it is the I worst guess. car chase I've ever seen, which is weird because Zemeckis did really good car chases and fun car chases in Back to the Future. Because it's not right. a chase. No one's being chased. Well, they are, they, car chase. they are just chasing driving. them a little bit, but it's like 600 cars and then one bad guy car. It doesn't work. Yeah, the, yeah, it's, it's uh, So this is the scene you talked about a little bit. They interview the superstitious guy, and it's the police interviewing him. And he, of course, blames it on the Iranians because it's a Zemeckis movie. <laughs> Told you, Zemeckis, man. Um, so the mechanic fell asleep with yes. the welding torch yeah, on. Yeah, he seems to be narcoleptic, but they don't ever address it. Uh, and then this no. leads to, I thought, a really good... Chore- well choreographed comedy fight between the bad guy brother and the superstitious yes. guy where they're fighting in the office of this little podunk uh, car dealership and so people are going through walls people are going through doors there's a couple of good breakaway chair moments and they're like you know punching each other and the <laughs> the old guy is way tougher than the younger uh, uh, superstitious guy so that has a good uh, it's yeah, just a really a nice good touch. comedy fight which you don't often see good choreography in a comedy fight like normally they just get to the gags but this i think has a fun setup and yeah, no, it's like chairs right away it's good it's it's well put together and he's about to slit his throat yes with picture it's frame really blast. dark that he's gonna actually murder him over the cars i mean i get it he's mad but uh it seems kind of like a bit of an overreaction but he sees the picture of the car uh of the car that they buried and his brother and his daughter and he Really, he puts it together that that car is missing, so he runs back out to the pit and he starts digging because the car was hanging. It was it was being suspended in the air above the lot as like a a sign, yeah, like as yeah. like a showpiece, like a sign. So he digs like eight inches down into the mud of this pit and he sees the roof of the car and he's like, "Aha, I've got them!" And then the dog, uh, who we haven't, who was dead previously, but it obviously was not really dead, uh, chases him off. And then the um, he goes to get the mechanic to let him know. The dog goes to let, get the mechanic to let him know, hey, he found out that the car is buried here. And the mechanic is running outside in welding goggles at night. And I don't know if you didn't, if you know this, welding goggles are nearly impossible to see through because they're designed to be so dark, only the spark and the flame right. of your welding torch are visible. So running at night in them is just bad news bears. Extremely dangerous. But the other thing is... Uh, this part here with like the car and they have to move the car and do all this stuff is the climax of the movie. Like this should be the end of the movie. And instead it's the end of act two into act three. So it makes the, the pacing of the movie seem really bizarre. And then Kurt Russell and Barbara, his, the guy, the, the boss, the dead, the dead boss's daughter have already slept together. Like, well, they're literally sleeping together as this happens. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah, they. I blink, and all of a sudden, they're in bed. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened? Well, how about we not be the slut shamer, Mr. Positive Attitude 2020? Oh, I'm not shaming anything. I'm just like, what happened between A, between I'm going to kiss you outside a Mexican restaurant we just met today. Have you seen Kurt Russell in this movie? He is yes. a babe. He is a babe. Yes, I know. And, like, I would sleep with Kurt Russell. But in movie world, you need to give me a little to go on. <laughs> I I don't know. I think he's just a babe. And we're, he's, he, she's just like, hey, I would like to have sex with that person. But she does. He gets a phone call from the mechanic, picks it up, and the machine records it. So she then plays it back and then re- finds out that her dad is dead, which is. I think objectively the worst way to find out that your parent is dead. It is. And I also forgot that um, answering machines used to do that. Record it. Like, record when you pick up. Like, yeah, if, you, if you if you answered while someone was in the middle of their message, it would keep recording. Right, right. Uh, so, Kurt rushes out of bed, 
Cut to the next morning. The cops are there to investigate. Kurt, Kurt is talking about, you know, not knowing what's going on. And then all these cars come crashing through. The cops start looking around. They start digging up the pit. Uh, we find out that the car is not in there. It's around the corner. And the mechanic is dousing it in gasoline. And then has it rigged up so that the dead man can drive across the street directly into a transformer so it can explode in another really great car explosion. It's a primo explosion for sure. They've um, also put garlic around the dead guy's neck. Because he smelled sure. very bad. Uh, I mean, garlic seems they like were a like They were trying to choice. They were trying to ward off his stink, and that was what they came up with. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird because this should be the the last act of There's the movie. There's 40 minutes left in the movie. Yeah, it's like I I I I you know, check the runtime and I'm like, "All right, I this is going to be one of those movies where a whole new movie is going to start. We're going to have a three-act structure in 40 minutes." And we do. The like yep. we this is the all is lost moment where she kicks all the men off the lot and she's like, "You don't I don't you don't work here anymore. This is mine now." Um they're all like kind of in a funk. But also, she, like, what does she know about running a dealership or selling well, cars? Because there's been no indication that she is a salesperson of any kind or that she is any like knows anything about business. Like, she just wanders into the movie, has sex with Kurt Russell, and then yeah. all of a sudden runs a dealership. And I was like, you, we, I need to know a little bit about her. It seems to me, based on the little snippet of dialogue we get from her doing the commercial recording, which comes up here in a second, that she is just like, I just need to move these cars. They're all shitty. I'm going to sell them honestly as pieces of crap for very little money, and then I'm going to get out of this and go home. You know? Okay. That is if that the is movie my told me that. Yes, that yes, great. yeah. No, I agree. The movie didn't tell us, but that is my interpretation of what happens because she's recording on the lot. She's very bad on camera. And she's just saying, you know, we have lots of different styles of cars. And then later uh, she says something. I forget the exact sentence that she uses the word. Look at miles all in. the styles of cars. Right. And but they then edit the word mile. She says, maybe she says they have low mileage or something like that. Or no, you know, it's it's just a mile off blah, blah, blah. That's right. Okay. So and they so do this. Go ahead. They edit it together. They re-edit her commercial to so that to make it sound like she says we have miles of cars, only so that they can bust her for saying we have miles of cars because that's technically not real. Right, and it's weird because they make her say miles of cars, and then immediately the movie is going based on the single mile of cars, which is yeah. bonkers. Uh, so they do this re-edit. And immediately she's in court for it. Like the, yeah. it's it, they make a joke about the wheels of justice turning quickly when because so it's Kurt Russell gets picked up in the morning. He's got his ten thousand dollars because he won it on a football game of all things. Yeah, that was crazy. That the, the whole football game sequence came out of left field. But also, I realized that like I'm not rooting for her in this moment. I'm just rooting against the bad guy. Right. Yeah. Which I is think an that's issue. Right. Yeah, I think you're totally right. That is a common problem in all sorts of storytelling of the bad guy's drafted well enough and the good guy doesn't get enough of of the reason for existing. Um, There's a good seven-minute sequence about, the be- about betting on the football game. I will say the part where <laughs> – so it's down to like the last play of the game and the superstitious guy has bet on the one team and Kurt bet $40,000 against him. And the superstitious guy just starts trying to take on every possible superstitious thing he can do. He's, He's ripping the cap off salt. Yes. He he finds a ladder behind the bar and crawls on the floor to get under it. And then at the last moment, he picks up a chair and he looks like he's going to hit Kurt Russell. And they're like, and the final snap. And then the guy sees that there's still an opportunity. And he runs and is like, get out of the way. And he smashes a mirror, leading to the touchdown being scored and them winning all the money. It's really dull. I, I will say that scene is very fun. I did like that. My problem was that it's just like, it's so long. And if it had been earlier in the movie, like at this point in the movie, I'm starting to lose steam because I'm just. Yeah. I'm like, what's still happening? Well, because we had a climax. Like, it was, they're going to get caught. They avoided getting caught and got away with it. Boom, over. Okay, oh, there's an, an entire plot of a 45-minute television episode that has, like, we're going to watch a whole episode of an hour-long drama right now. Yes. And so Kurt Russell gets his money, and he gets in the car with Foghorn Leghorn, and I can't understand a 
Goddamn word, he says. Yes, but this man uh, handcuffs himself to Kurt's briefcase full of loose money, which I really enjoyed. And he's without ex- counting, right? And he's explaining, which leads me to believe that like he is obviously getting ripped off. Uh, but he starts explaining to Kurt like what their policy positions are, and he hands him this folder that explains the freeway over exchange. And then Kurt is like, "Oh my god, I see what's happening! I suddenly get why the bad guy's been the bad guy the whole time." So he runs out of the car, slams the handcuff chain in the door, which makes it break, which I, again, very sure. tunes. Yeah. And then he goes, like, just running off for the courthouse. And he, um, there's a, the judge is, like, a very harsh guy. There's a guillotine on his desk, a gallows, and an electric chair, like, like a little, like, Playmobil version. And then they open and do the reveal, and the judge is Al Lewis from the Munsters. Yeah, Grandpa Munster. Which makes two different monsters who have played judges in comedy movies. Did um, um Herman? Is her is that Herman Monster? Uh huh. Oh, I I don't remember the judge. I just remember Marissa Tomei. Oh really? The judge is such a memorable character to me. Um, Buick Skylock. Uh, coming to this podcast eventually, I'm sure. Uh, so this whole court case hinges upon this false claim of, do you actually have a mile of cars or don't you? So they're like, Oh, we just got to go measure the cars, the lot. And before they get to it in the movie, I'm thinking, I'm like a mile is 5,280 feet. A car is like what? 16, 20 feet long, 15, 20 feet long. So like that, like you're talking about like 300 cars. That doesn't seem to be that many. And then I'm like, Oh wait, this is a bad, tiny used car. Like a car dealership nowadays, probably like a normal sized suburban car dealership probably does have, a Easily. mile of cars, yeah. Easily. And then it was like, so in my brain, I'm going like, yeah, of course they do. Like, that's not that many feet of cars. Go to uh, any car sense. But it's bizarre to me that so much of this movie is hung on this idea of, like, getting people caught for false advertising. Because this is the first time someone is, they follow through on catching and bringing someone to justice. But it's yes. the fourth time this movie has talked about false advertising in relation to... Uh, what's going on in the movie. And it's just an odd thing that's like they hung the movie on. Yeah, it's very bizarre. Um, so, and Kurt starts like whispering in the crowd to like get them to agree to this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this leads to he runs. So we we didn't talk about this because it's kind of, well, it's becomes, it becomes consequential now, but it felt inconsequential. Kurt uh, convinced his boss to sell a bunch of useless junk cars to the school's uh, driver's ed program. Instead, instead of, of slightly nicer cars. Yeah, exactly. But they were, you know, they had weeds, trees growing through the middle of them. So this principal guy or, or driver's ed teacher was like furious with Kurt Russell earlier. So he's like, oh, I can solve all the, I can close all the loops in this movie in one fell swoop. So they I can go to pay the guy who gave me the taxis and get driver's ed credit for all the drivers. Right. So there's a fleet of school buses that goes to this car lot that is basically a junkyard. And Kurt buys 250 cars from the guy who sold him the blue painted taxis. And they're like, all right, kids, everybody grab keys and we're driving across the thing uh, or driving across, the, you know, driving them all back to the lot. Um, but it's weird because so they they give you like four different groups that we're hanging out with in this. And it's very airplaney where there's like, you know, they that's a good diff- word for it. Different people in different sections of the of the thing, which makes sense because some of the people involved in this movie are involved with that movie. Uh, but so there's like a group of. Uh, of young kids who are like squabbling and like one pushes one out of the way, gets to drive it. There's another one where it's a a bunch of young black kids and they're all fighting over getting to drive the Cadillac. There's a really nervous girl who's driving. She's my favorite. She's good as heck, but I'm like, why is the, why is this in the movie? Why is any of this in the movie? You know, I would have been fine if it was just the nervous girl was like the only person we focus. It was just like, Oh, kids, you see all the kids get in their car and they drive. Yeah. And then the last one to leave the lot is a girl who's like 10, two. Yes. Check the mirrors. Uh Uh-huh. That's yeah. what it should have been. Yeah, one joke is fine. And the other one that I liked was the kid who had the manual for driving. And every oh, time something fun. every time something went positive or negative, he was like reinforcing it by reading the manual. I think both of those could be one-off gags, but each of them is like three gags. And it's like, why are we padding this runtime so much? What are we doing in this? The last 30 minutes is 20 minutes of padding. Yes. Also... Uh, the salesman, for absolutely no reason, just grabs Barbara's breast in this scene, and I don't—I can't imagine that was in the script. And I was just like, Whoa. "I don't remember that." 
he he like puts his arm around her and then does that thing where he like lets his hand drop and so he can touch her breast. Wait, the one the what the guy that Kurt Russell bought the cars from? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Um but they so this is where we set up the ticking clock of the movie. It's like we have to get them there by this time and also we only have a one car buffer. So if not every car uh, we have we have one car to spare. And then of course like 90 seconds later that car one car gets wiped out and they're like we don't have any more spare cars. We have to get them all there. Yeah. It, it and, didn't need that. It, it should have been, you know, we have 400 cars. We just need two fit. We're like, are we 300 cars? We just need 250 to make it to the lot. And then as they're driving, kids' cars can just stop because they're like pieces of junk. Right. It's much funnier if like the wheels all fall off a bunch of them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. They hit and a that, then bump. Someone can be like, like uh, Barbara could have been in the back of the truck, like standing with Kurt Russell, turning around, like doing math as she's like constantly scanning all yes, the cars. Yes, I really wanted a scene like right out of airplane where someone went over a bump or, so- or something akin to a bump or you know hit something and then was left holding the steering wheel, sitting in a seat, and had no other car parts on them. Like I that wanted I that. Love. I wanted yeah. that gag. You it know? needed three percent more kooky. Yeah, uh, but there is one cool bit with a uh, police car that turns its sirens on, so the the kid with the driver's ed manual jams on the brakes, and then the car does a flip over them, which is good. And but it takes out one of their cars. It's a nice. It's it's the physical bit, like it's real, it's practical, which is nice. Right, right. Uh, they find so the, at that point they find out there's a police roadblock, and so they. Uh, Drive across the desert. Yeah, like, well, everybody turn left. The compass says west. That's where we're headed. <laughs> and it's this becomes the most boring driving. All it is is just a bunch of driving montages. It's not it even becomes, a chase. It becomes boring, twisted metal. You can't even call it twisted metal. Well, there is a little bit of the bad guys are all in one car and they are trying to fight Kurt Russell. So it's a little bit of like that old video game Road Rash or Road Rage where you have the bikes and you hit each other. Oh yeah, 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 and and Twisted Metal, another video game. Um, but they like Kurt Russell's in a car with one of his mechanics, and also the the woman who now owns the lot. And all I could think of was like, why did you have these adults all in one car instead of driving separate cars? But obviously, just because it's a well, movie. Well, because he and Barbara are standing in the truck bed. That the right. mechanic, is, the mechanic is driving the truck, and they're standing in the truck bed. So this this leads to their like they're fighting uh, car to car with the bad guy and that one who killed her dad and Kurt Russell and they're just like having hand to hand fights. Kurt Russell gets thrown out of the car and lands on another one and that part is kind of fun, I think. The mechanic punches through the windshield from the inside. Yes, it shatters the window and knocks the guy off the front of the car. But then Kurt Russell's doing some real Teen Wolf car uh, surfing and just like oh, hopping it's car to car. Primo car surfing. Also, the stunt double work here is genuinely exceptional. It looks like it's Kurt Russell actually doing this stuff. It's so good that I didn't even think about the fact that it wasn't Kurt Russell. Right. Like, I mean, maybe it wasn't, but this seemed even at low speeds to be pretty dangerous stuff that you wouldn't want the star of the movie doing. Yeah, I mean, he, he's an athletic dude. I know he's done a lot of his stunts, but it just seems like this wouldn't be it. And I genuinely couldn't tell. They end up, uh, he ends up getting back in the pickup truck and he knocks out the bad guy, uh, of course. Uh, uh, the one guy who wasn't driving with them. The guy, the superstitious guy, um, was driving like driving on ahead. Drives past a a water splash that wipes paint off his car, and they show you, they give you mm, sixteen separate shots at throughout various points, focusing <laughs> yes. on the fact that it splashed paint off the car. And I was like, "You keep showing me that, and I don't know what the fuck you're trying to tell me." You didn't get the red thing. I I didn't because I was like, "You keep showing it," which means that, like. <laughs> What is it? <laughs> oh, man. I was like, oh, yeah, it's red. My favorite part is that the reveal of it being a red car to this man is he's like, oh, that's a mirror truck. Better be careful around that or I'll this horrible ADR line of like, better be careful around that or I'll have forever bad luck. And then it he zooms. So weird. He zooms past it and he's like, I'm in a red car. Ah! What it should have been was he had his hand out the window wiped his hand on the blue paint and like went to like touch his face or something it was like yes what and looked out the window yeah i mean yes that's also fine i i think i just didn't need 17 shots zooming in on this paint (laughs) because i was like okay what more are you trying to tell me right right 
Um, so the students all arrive, and it's an impressive display of destruction. They're, like, driving through the other buildings on the lot and smashing out the walls and the doors and stuff. It, the movie also explicitly tells you they're going 75 miles an hour. Yes. And people keep getting thrown off cars like they're like it's nothing. Yeah, people just land and roll away and walk walk away just fine. I also like that they make an explicit jab at the recent lowering of highway speed limits to fifty five miles an hour, which is what oh, that, is that, what that gag was? is for. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Fairly recent, I guess. Um, but the students finally arrive at the car lot, and it's this impressive display of destruction. They drive through a bunch of the buildings that are on the lot, and like pieces of them are going flying. Like- the it was fun, but I, I again, it, the movie gave you like four minutes of it. Yeah, no, it gave us like fourteen minutes of it. Oh, you mean the crashes specifically? Okay, yeah, the yeah, crashes yeah, specifically. Yeah. I was like, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where they spent all their money. Uh, I just I, those movies. When you see padding like that, usually the movie is like eighty nine minutes long. Right, right. And this is an hour and fifty five minutes. Right. This needed a better editor for sure. Um, it needed what was her the Quentin Tarantino woman? Sally Mary? Menken. Sally. Uh there is a nice bit callback joke with the uh girl who is nervous and the the poor teacher looks like a shred of a human at this point. Like he's he's had the worst week of his life and he's just like, You'll 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 pass, just promise me he'll take your test in another state. <laughs> So the judge arrives, and he sends a... a No, he doesn't even want to. He's like, this looks like enough cars. Oh, that's right. He is. He's like, yep, that's good enough for me. That seems good. And they're like, we should measure. And he's like... He's desperate to go get in a round of golf. He keeps, like, lowering the number of holes he can go play. So they start Uh, measuring. And then the guy with the red car has to jump a train to make it. Well, he yeah he he won't drive the red car, and I was like, oh man, it would be nice if they had cell phones. How are they going to solve this problem? So they call him on the walkie-talkie, which I found very funny. Yeah, right. Uh, and Kurt Russell's like, if you don't drive that car here, we're going to lose the lot. And so he, you know, puts his courage together, and he's like, all right, I'm going to do it. He tries to beat this train. He can't beat it. He sees a, a tow truck, and I'm like, oh, he's going to jump the car to the train. This is mm-hmm. going to be great. He sets himself up a ramp. He does the gone in sixty seconds like flying car jump i also love this is one of those car jumps in movies where they don't make any attempt to hide the fact that the car did not survive the jump oh yeah it bends <laughs> it, it makes like a taco practically it's like that gag in cartoons where people are in like an adjustable bed and they go too hard <laughs> and just fold themselves or in freddy versus jason yes yes is it that one yeah Fre- it's freddy okay. versus jason okay yeah they just fold a person in half Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's in the first, like, ten minutes of that movie. Oh, okay. It is a very cool-looking jump, but I was like, oh, man, that car is toast, and they didn't even try to hide that. No. So he squeals it's just a lot of in... stupid tension to add in the 11th hour of your hour and 50-minute movie. Right. I totally agree. It's like, we don't need all of these things in this movie. Um, uh, so the judge measures, and he's like, they get the last car in there, and he's like, you're three inches short. And the bad guy is like, ha-ha, and slams his hand on the, the car, which makes the um, the license plate pop open, because that's, like, where the gas was back then. And the judge is like, oh, actually, now that, that happened, they're fine. It's a mile. Right. And then, the, of course, the guy's like, you can't count the license plate. And I'm like, he's kind of got a point. I mean, the license plate is part of the car. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so they, they win. The slobs beat the snobs. And... We get this final scene of this old lady who's asking about, is that car yellow because it used to be a taxi? And it's like, oh, is she going to be dishonest? Is she going to be honest? And it's like, she chose dishonesty. And that's like pitched as a win. And I'm like, wait, that's bad. That's not the win, but okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like, I mean, we'll, this that's the end of the movie, but we'll get into the final thoughts here. I feel like... If the part of them needing to get the cars in order to solve the problem was weaved in a la the part in Summer Rental where they need to get a sale and it's like, yep, there's a bunch of other things happening, but that that is the sort of ticking clock that is weaved throughout where we keep checking in on this problem and we haven't solved it yet. Like that getting to where, you know, okay, I found a whole bunch of cars, but 
there's no way for me to get them to you. And then it's like Kurt Russell driving a bus like a madman to get all these kids there is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's similar, but just slightly restructured that way. So like, that's a big change. Like, right. That's like changing this movie fundamentally. But honestly, I feel like if you just re-edited this and put it in a slightly different order, it's much better. I agree. I think, I think a stronger edit because without doing any, re- with, I think with reshoots would be the better version because you could make it kookier. Yeah. And lean into it. But as is, I think it just needs a stronger editor. Even if you just made it so the car with the dead guy in it was car, like the car that would push them over the line. And then it blows up across the street. And then this car comes squealing in at the end. So like you put the two things in the same scene. Like it just. Or if it was the car, if the car was hanging there the whole time and never came down and they were like, we need one more car. And they push a lever and it just drops. Yes. Yeah. Something like that makes a lot of sense and and really would have, I think, carried this up a couple of notches. That said, I did enjoy this movie. I, I think it is. I think it is worth a watch. It's it's on Crackle right now. It's like we said, a little long in the tooth, especially in the third act. It's really long in the tooth in the third act. But yeah. I've never seen this before. I think it's a really solid Kurt Russell performance. I think it has some fun gags in it. I think it's. Uh, you know, among the better movies we watch for the show. I don't know if I'd ever explicitly seek it out to rewatch it again, but this is one I would totally, totally, if it was on cable and it will never be because it's never been, but if it was just like on TV or something, I could totally see myself settling in for 30 minutes of this movie. Yeah. 30 minutes. It sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. And just like, you know, watching a few scenes, I think it is funny. I think there's really solid stuff in it. It just is like weirdly shaped and that's sort of to its detriment. But I do, I do like it. I do think it's a good movie. I agree with that. Um, So I would, I would give this the lightest of recommendations, I think, or maybe, maybe a mid-sized recommendation if we want to put it in car terms. This is not quite a compact recommendation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is mine's more of a mid-sized, not quite to the full sedan. Um, but yeah, it is, it is, it is a good entertaining, uh, movie. It's a, as always, you know, I love Kurt Russell. We both love Kurt Russell. Not surprising that we'd enjoy his performance, but I think it's a fun, fun, you know, version of him in this movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything else? No, I think we got it. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you want to get more of the show, if you head over to patreon.com slash the 80s you can find a tier there that works for you. At the $5 tier, you get a bonus episode every quarter. We just posted our She's All That episode, which people seem to enjoy. Um, so it's so, fun one to record. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, so that's their great Muppet Caper, which we also mentioned in this episode. But I think we're up to about half a dozen episodes. And like I said earlier, we're almost there for getting a uh, bonus commentary track that you're going to get to vote on. So if you sign up for Patreon, you get to cast your vote in that. And then we'll close those polls once we hit the uh, threshold and put up the final poll uh, to give everybody a shot at, at getting involved in that. But there's some really fun stuff in those polls. Uh, Elvira, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm-hmm. So lots of cool stuff there if you're uh, interested. So check that out, patreon.com slash the 80s And find us on Facebook or on Twitter. It's Dissect the 80s on Twitter. We love to hear from you. Uh, so please feel free to reach out. Uh, the next movie we're doing, we're coming to you on March 23rd. And I'm very excited about this. Uh, it's another movie celebrating, celebrating its 40th anniversary. It might be truly unwatchable. And I do apologize for that. But... I'm excited to talk about this genre of movie because we have many, many times on this show talked about the Poseidon adventure and we can't do that movie, but we can do the final movie of the big epic disaster with lots of stars in it. Maybe one year the, the DeLorean will go back too far instead of not far enough. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We'll find out in 2024, I guess. Um, the, uh, the movie is called When Time Ran Out, and it is a big disaster volcano movie, a la The Poseidon Adventure, The Towering Inferno, etc., etc. It's a weird genre of movie that was popular for about four years, and I think we're going to have fun talking about it, even if this movie is unwatchable. I haven't watched it yet. It might be terrible. We're coming off a, m- a solid month of weekly recordings for this show. <laughs> And you're like, you know what we should do next? Something borderline unwatchable. I, I, I don't, fun. I watched the trailer and I was genuinely excited. It's real big and loud and crazy. Okay. So we'll see. Um, is it over ninety minutes? Because if it's, I mean, I'm sure of it. If it's pushing two hours, I already hate you. I will Google, but I would be shocked if it was less. 
Yeah, it's exactly two hours. However, okay. Paul Newman, Jacqueline Bissett, William Holden, Ernest Borgnine, Red Buttons, Burgess Meredith. Mer- Ernest Borgnine? Yes, Burgess Meredith. The Penguin? Pat Morita, Barbara Carrera, okay. Edward Albert. There's there's a lot of talent in here. This is this is one of those movies. And look at that poster. Look at where's the camera? It had better be. So it is going to be a long movie. I hope that there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about, but I, I think there will be. It's a big Irwin Allen movie. We're going to get to talk about Earthquake in, in Universal Studios, I think. Oh, yeah. So, I, I yeah, but this will be fun. I think we're going to have a good time with this. I'm very excited to talk about this movie. I'm very excited to watch How this very movie. very mom of you. Isn't this what? fun? <laughs> Aren't you kids having fun? Yeah, this I think fun. I think we're going to have a little fun with this one. I hope so, anyway. Uh, so we'll see you on March 23rd for when time... Wait, let me do the voice. When time ran out. That's the kind of announcer voice they have in all those trailers. It is. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. I have been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until next time. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. Ow.